0: What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath, waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com podcast, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Cindy Patino is a life coach, energy worker, speaker, author, and happiness expert. These are just a few words to describe her. In 2003, Cindy began learning energy work. After four years of intensive study, she became a Brennan healing science practitioner. Previously, Cindy graduated from George Mason University with a degree in economics. She uses the relationship and life skills taught at the Brennan School to help her clients find more beauty in themselves and happiness in their lives. In 2011, she founded Transformational Healing in Middleburg, Virginia. Welcome, Cindy.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie.
1: I'm so glad you're here. You know, it couldn't have been obvious after you earned your degree in economics that you would end up helping others on their quest for happiness. In your own words, I I really want you to share why you do what you do from that background.
2: I'm kind of a nerd, but I found that I'm more of a spiritual nerd. Mm. So I loved the theory of economics. I loved... That people thought it was difficult, and I found it really easy. And I could, what I loved about economics is you can take it to everything, right? So uh, I also realized that I align, I don't align with the conservative economic view. I align more with the Austrian view, which basically says that we gain, it's called utility, but we gain pleasure and from things that, from other things, things than money. Great okay we gain pleasure from and it, and it 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 makes us happy to hug to love to have pets to you know and because the conservative economic theory basically says that everything that we do every choice that we make is is all about money mm. so um and i was like nah, it doesn't seem very right to me so um so I, coming from that you know understanding that we we get joy other ways then i ended up going down a a different path
1: okay well we're taping our talk today during the summer of covid (laughs) what are your clients telling you about what they're experiencing nothing
2: good uh anxiety depression loss uh grief uh fear a lot of fear but people are yeah they're really stuck right now they're scared and now now that the schools aren't opening you've got a whole other dilemma that people are trying to deal with and, and figure out, and it's um, it's pretty hard for a lot of people out there. there some people don't even want to leave their houses. Some people are, are not functioning well due to depression, and then, you know, I, I do work for Vistage. I, I, I speak for Vistage, and and uh, so I, I'm on a stream for COVID. and. Business owners, you know, they have employees that are working virtually, and now they have a spouse in the house. They have kids in the house, and they're they're really struggling. They're struggling to be uh, productive.
1: Explain what Vistage is.
2: Uh, So Vistage is a business mastermind for people who own multi-million dollar companies.
1: Okay. So as a woman in business, I'm sure that you've been told, you know, you should be able to say what you do in a very short way, that classic sort of elevator speech. But when I think about your work in happiness, it's not necessarily easy to convey without someone thinking they're signing up for a new friend, but you teach skills. So tell us why that's so important and uh, why so valuable in your work. So
2: I had a set of epiphanies in my early 30s, and the last one, the last epiphany that, that sent me on my quest was that I was never taught the skills to be happy. I was never taught the skills to have a happy marriage, to be a happy parent, um, and to just to be happy in general. And not that my parents didn't do wonderful things, sure. But, you know, they they came from a different mindset. They came from they grew up in the depression, and so nobody taught them how to do to do conflict in a healthy way, or how to communicate in a healthy way, or how to deal with money in a healthy way. <laughs> so um, once I kind of came to that, you know, uh, realization. That's when I started to uh, learn new ways, n- learn new ways of being, new, learn, learn new ways of communicating, of, of being a spouse, of being a parent. And so I signed up for therapy and I read lots of self-help books. And if any workshop said to be a better blank or if there was a book that said to be a better blank, mm-hmm. I read it or I signed up for it. And, you know, that took me to the Barbara Brennan School of Healing.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask you more about the school in a few minutes. But earlier in your career, you spent years helping people become physically fit. And here in our shop, we think true wealth includes the best physical health you can be in. In fact, we think you know taking care of your health is money in the bank. It's a financial decision. So we say these things like you know your pharmacy is your pantry and uh, your health begins at the kitchen table. So now we think it might even offer a buffer for pathogens like COVID and other things that may come our way. But how has understanding the impact of fitness and nutrition helped you help others in their quest for happiness? What part of that comes in? Well, the whole energy
2: worker piece basically means that I I look at someone as a whole being. Mm -hmm. So emotionally, mentally, physically and spiritually. So you know, what we put in our bodies does affect us, directly affect us. And being in the fitness world, one of the reasons why I left the fitness industry is because I, I could only help people on the physical side, mm-hmm. right? And and that was a lot, but it, it wasn't enough, right? So uh, yeah, I, I if people have questions about exercise and health and wellness, you know, I, I bring that in. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't want the energy work piece, they just want the coaching piece. Sometimes they want the physical training piece as well. In fact, I just started a, a program called Walk and Talk with Cindy to get off those COVID nineteen. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. And so yeah, so I designed a program where we can walk for an hour, and then I can we can I can be coaching the whole time, and it helps them, it helps me. But yeah, I mean, I I, I very much believe in um, health and wellness as a as a whole person. I juice. I make smoothies. I try to eat as clean as possible. And and I put a lot of that more in my social media than I do really With my coaching.
1: I love the idea of a walking club, by the way. I was in a walking club when I lived in Miami, and it was really a highlight of the days that I participated because it was a walking, talking club. And so it's a a great idea. I think people will seek you out for that. Now, before we uh, leave the idea of energy work specifically, that can sound a little you know, woo-woo to some people. They just don't get it. So help us understand a little bit more what energy work really is and okay. specifically, you know, what was special about the Brennan School.
2: So, gosh, where do I start? So energy work, basically, um, there, there are lots of different types of energy work. It's kind of like jelly beans. It's kind of like coaches, you know. There are so many coaches out there okay. right now. Um, just because someone says they're a life coach or a business coach, you, you have to figure out what facet Isn't it so with, but what most people believe across the board with energy work is that energy is love. Mm -hmm. We all emit some kind of a field. um, And we even have science now that proves that we emit a field outside of our bodies. What's in that field is skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. But most energy workers believe that not only do we emit a field, um, that everything that we've ever done, said, believed, whatever is is in is in that field there's there's so there's a lot there sure and you know when people say they don't believe in energy and energy work i always the, the things i typically say are well when you say you know when you meet somebody and you're just like oh they just suck the life out of me
1: mm-hmm. i've well, met a few yes
2: yeah? and i'm like well well if that what is that person doing like how can that happen if, right if they're not emitting a field a vibe like, a vibe yeah. right you can't the other thing that I say is, well, if a building is just a building, if people don't emit a field, right, and there's no such thing as energy work, then a building is just a building. So, what's the difference? So, what, how do you feel when you walk into a church versus a biker club? I mean, yeah. so if a building is just a building, why do you feel differently in different buildings? Right. It's all about what people are putting out there. Okay. Right? So, an energy work basically says. I'm sharing my field, my love, right, from higher self. And I'm helping you heal whatever is within you.
1: Not going well. Now, what is special about the Brennan School that we should know about? is When you go there, because it's not a typical university, right? So (laughs) tell us a little bit about the Brennan School and why it matters. So I learned kinesthetically.
2: Mm -hmm. So... Like, so when uh, people learn Reiki, like you go for a weekend and then, and all of a sudden now you're a Reiki one. What's Reiki? So Reiki is another type of energy work. Okay. It's hands-on energy work. Okay. So... But, and then like about a month later, you can go and take a class, you're Reiki two. Okay. And then take another class a few months later, you're Reiki three. Got it. So the Brennan school is a four year school and it's the only licensed baccalaureate program for energy science in the world. Okay. And you learn hands-on. So you go down, you train for a week with them. Then you come back and you have all this homework to do. You've practice clients and you have paperwork that you, you you create basically based on the energy work that you do and everything that you've practiced. Mm-hmm. And, and then two months later you go back down, okay and train for another week. And when I say train, I mean what I loved, I love so many things about the Brennan school. I mean it, it changed it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And it's emotional boot camp. Okay. So Barbara Brennan didn't believe that if you didn't know yourself intimately, mm-hmm. like what made you happy, what made you sad, what made you cry, She believed in taking all that stuff that sits in the 95% of our subconscious and bringing it up to the conscious so that we could evaluate it, look at it, uh, see what needed to be healed, worked Mm -hmm. on, educated. And you also learned all these amazing skills like how to make true contact with another person, how to really listen to another person. But you also... You went through this process of self discovery in a very beautiful, kind, loving way, but it was an emo- emotional boot camp. You know, you'd come back, you were completely triggered. You had to be in some for- form of therapy so that you could kind of process through all of the stuff that happened when you were down at the school and all the experiences, all the aha moments, all the pain, all
1: yeah, the, sure. all the yeah. stuff.
2: Okay. Right. So yeah, she believed that if you didn't know where you ended and and the person that you were with began, then your stuff gets mixed
1: up with their stuff. And then how can you really help someone? Perfect. I think that really helps a lot to understand. So switching gears, we've worked together in the past on helping people go through divorce. We work on the money, you work on the person. What do you know from your training about the survivability of divorce when those, you know, going through it sometimes? sometimes equate it to a kind of death and almost all equate it to a kind of grief.
2: Well, it, it is a death and it is a grief. And I mean, you're not just losing the person, right? You're losing traditions. You're losing, uh, maybe losing, seeing your children full time. You're losing the dreams that you had when you got married mm. and, you know, what you th- thought life would be. You're losing what was, and it's something that, you know, it, you might not like it, But at least you're in the known. So I was, I I lost my truck, you know, and I I was sad about losing my truck. And people were like, you're a trap. That's ridiculous. And it's not ridiculous. You you lose a lot of things emotionally, physically. Yeah, you lose a lot. So I always tell people to grieve everything, you know. But the beautiful thing about divorce is that yes, you you lose what you had but you just get to make make new traditions sure. you get to make new uh, a new definition of family you get to make a new definition so you don't really truly lose anything you just you're going to remake it mm-hmm. but first you have to grieve what mm-hmm. you had so that you can move forward in a way that you're like oh yeah i don't have to have those nasty onions in the stuffing because you know my spouse loved that i
1: hated it so Mm -hmm. now i get to make my
2: stuffing my way
1: yes it's it's a very silly thing to to example but but it's true well and i also think that you know it's always two people so if you don't work on you you bring that you forward into the next place (laughs) (laughs) which you know probably should have called cindy first but I, the other question I have around that is you have adult kids and a blended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you tell someone contemplating marriage or just being out, even out on their own that they should know about money that maybe, you know, you didn't know the first time around, but you you know now? Oh,
2: God. About money? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I've done all this work, therapy, workshops, books, Barbara Brennan. Money still gets me. Mm. I mean, money money is still... Something that I'll be working on probably until I'm six feet under. But what would I tell them about money? I would tell them not to spend it all. <laughs> <My> <laughs> we tell them the same thing. So I that's would, good. I, yeah. I would tell them, yeah, money's hard. You know, it's, it's um, it can be power in relationships. It can be something that what I experienced with my ex was he was so afraid of losing everything. We lost everything.
1: Mm, mm, interesting.
2: And it it's our fear is so powerful. Yeah. And what we most fear we will most likely make happen
1: because you're focusing on it.
2: Yes. Yeah. And and your all decisions are made based on fear, mm. not based on love or possibility or or hope or, or from that just adult self part of our psyche, that rational, practical, pragmatic part mm-hmm. of our psyche. Fear is not in the adult, that adult part of our psyche. Fear lives in that five-year-old place. Mm-hmm. Right? And and a lot of fear. And and um yeah, I think people learn a lot from divorce. And I think they learn most in in relationship. I mean intimate relationship is where we bring out our best and bring out our worst.
1: Well, and of course, by the time we're getting married or pairing up, or even by the time we're enjoying our first job, we are bringing with our money history from our family. Yes, yes. was that problematic for you? Was money talked about in your family? Do, do you remember the first time money sort of showed up in your life? Oh, money was
2: everywhere in my family because so my mother. My mother grew up in a middle upper class mm-hmm. family, and my father grew up poorer than poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't have... Sh- he got one pair of shoes all year, right before school. And so that's that's it. Yep. And so by summer, of course, he couldn't fit into his shoes anymore, so they would go barefoot. I mean, he my father grew up very, very poor. Mm-hmm. And so money was always there and always an issue. And my mom... And I, I'm this same way but my mom would forget to write in the checkbook you know what oh what she was spent uh-huh. what was spent and my father would
1: <laughs>
2: wow <laughs> why can't you do it? so money was always there can you do this can you get this well you know you had to prove that it was for my mom you had to prove it was a need Mhm. if you could prove it was a need you could get it mm-hmm. but if it was just a want yeah probably probably not and My mom made every penny count and we never, there was no waste. There was never any waste except. So mom growing up in this, you know, upper middle-class family, she, she had some nice things and she knew what nice things were. Mm -hmm. So a blue box would come in the mail. Oh, I think I know who makes a blue box. And my mom would take me by the hand (laughs) and she would, we would go into her room and close the door. And we would open up this box from Tiffany's. Oh, wow. Because she would save to just get these little gold ball oh, earrings uh-huh. right and she would tell me what Tiffany's was and, and the beauty and why you buy nice things like why why nice things can be important she took me to Bergdorf Goodman oh wow I mean she just I mean and and she would hide money away from my father which she did until like I mean that my father's in his 90s my mother is 80 something 88 years old and until recently, she was hiding <laughs> money from my
1: father, but and she but she's would, given it up. That's yeah. Hilarious. I mean, it was
2: hilarious. But she would she would invest and she would and save and save, and then we would go to Hawaii. Mm. You know, she would give us vacations that we could never have otherwise. It was mm-hmm. just yeah. It was so money was was a really awkward thing. We we were never we didn't have chores. We were never we had to ask for money. Mm-hmm. And again, if it was a need
1: versus being given it.
2: Right. Or being, but I mean, I grew up with a really strong work ethic. I mean, I started working when I was 16, Mm -hmm. 15, 16 years old. So it wasn't that, and and this belief that my parents had that if you want money, then you just have to work hard.
1: Okay. Which we know isn't necessarily true. True. A lot of hardworking people still have no money. Right. Yes.
2: So money was complicated. It was, it caused anger, but it also brought joy.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And you could hide it. Yeah, right? and you hid it from people
2: so that you could have these things that people people told you that you could never spend the money on, you know?
1: Right. So that's so interesting. Now I'm curious too because you have, uh, like many of us, lived in many different circumstances, <laughs> and today you have chosen a beautiful home in the mountains, and uh, you have one certain. I'm going to call it an accessory. I know you wouldn't call that. We'll get to the horse in a minute, but let's stick with the mountain home for a minute. Why is where you place yourself, the space you are in. Why is that so important?
2: Well, I'm a happiness expert, right? Mm -hmm. So your home has to make you happy. I lived in a grand home in Fairfax. I think we would call it a McMansion or some people might've called it a mansion on five acres. I had the large walk-in closet filled with designer clothes. Um, I lived a very... I lived a good life, Mm. but I can tell you the month after we moved into that home, I never felt safe Hmm. in that home because at any moment it could have been taken away because it was so expensive and something was always breaking and something needed to be remodeled and something needed to be. And by the time I left that house, 10 years later, I was never, I've never been so happy to leave a house ever. I mean, it was beautiful and I loved the elegance of it. I loved the neighborhood. I loved that it made me look wealthy, I guess. I mean, I there was some pride there, some sure, ego. yeah. But I made myself a promise um, when I left that house, which means when I left my marriage, that I would only have one time in Money Pit again in my life. Mm. And my home had to be someplace that I knew I could afford mm-hmm. no matter what. Right. The car that I drove... Couldn't be, like, I I drove Audis and Volvos, and every time you brought them in to be serviced, $500, $1,000, I'm like, it's money that, to me, is just going down the toilet. Sure. So, I decided, I promised myself I would have one time in Money Pit, and that would be my horse.
1: So talk about the horse. What Because, you know, we live in horsey wine country here in um, the Middleburg, Leesburg, Loudoun County area of Virginia, for people not familiar with it. I call it France and Italy of America. I mean, it's a, just a True. beautiful place yes. to live. Yeah. But horses are expensive. They we are. we still have the hunt come through our property, you know, the English hunt. It's yes. a gorgeous way, but it, but they the money i mean they eat and they get chewed and they need teeth work and oh, you know i know people have their vet on speed dial but there's something about a horse that the people who love that horse lifestyle it's so meaningful to them they would rather skimp on something else that someone else might value right. that they no longer value because they want that in their life. So just talk about that a little well, bit. Well, that takes me back to my house, right? So I live on a, uh, I live in a,
2: a cabin on the side of a mountain. And if anybody had told me 20 years ago, that that's where I would be. Cause I grew up in an old farmhouse on a mountain. We spent our summers in the mountains of Vermont. My parents mm. uh, ran camps for underprivileged mm. girls in Vermont um, in the summertime. And I would have told them they were crazy, but I love it there and it's beautiful and it's affordable. And I guess it brings me back to my roots. Yeah. I mean, we split wood. We things that I never would have done. in that. You have a lot of
1: wildlife and beautiful fauna. I mean, it's just gorgeous. I see your pictures. Yes.
2: It's, it's, it's gorgeous, but it allows, it also allows me to have this thing called a horse. Yeah. So yes, horses are expensive. Someone asked me, what's it like to own a horse? I said, well, it's, it's like owning an old house. Ah, it's expensive. Yes. And some it always needs work. Mm. And it's a money pit. Mm-hmm. I mean, my I'm going riding today. He he is a fine diamond is my horse that I have now. <laughs> he, he was a, a rescue off the track. And he was probably half his normal weight when I got him.
1: I, re- I saw the pictures. It's yeah. horrible.
2: Um, we've put probably 400 pounds on him. And wow. if anyone knows anything about horses and thoroughbreds, they only weigh about 1,000 pounds. Okay. So... He could, yeah, you could see his ribs, his pelvic bones stuck out. He was in horrible shape, but he had beauty. You could tell he had great bones, as you say, like with the house, house, right? He uh, had beautiful movement. He, just his being was so, uh, so the way we found him was we were sitting down at this farm and at this ring. And I look up. And I
1: swear to God,
2: the clouds parted. I swear to God.
1: I'm picturing a horse with wings at this point. Yeah.
2: And he was the the current
1: owner, right? Owner.
2: Um, she had found him from the track. She was on his back and, and they were walking down this hill. The sun hit his coat and it just you heard music. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was just, she just kind of walked down like this glorious being. And I'm like, okay, he's mine. Yeah. You know, it was... But a, you, were you looking? I, I was. Okay. My last horse died. I had to put him down in 2012. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book about him because he came from an abusive owner mm-hmm.
1: and um, had to basically kind of be retrained. Mm-hmm. And we found
2: trust and love together. His name was Galileo and, and he was such a precious being. He was a prince. Truly. He was Excuse my language. He was a prick. Um, <laughs> he only let me and my trainer on his back. Nobody else could okay, get on okay. him. Um, cause they would, he would just toss them off. Sure. He was very, he was very particular. But so after about five years of not having a horse, after I um, had to put him down cause he had cancer, I, I decided I would start looking, but I have a very different pocketbook now. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I could afford twenty dollars. You're making different choices, yes. Before to to buy a horse. Um, I didn't have that. Yeah. So I had to go bargain basement. Yeah. And that was a, a thoroughbred off the track.
1: Which is which is interesting because I, I'm I you know, I bet a lot of people don't think about I don't have to spend a fortune to get the horse. You might well, spend a fortune on the horse, but you don't have to get spend well, a fortune to get the horse. The thing that you have to know about a
2: horse is that You never buy a horse that you aren't absolutely sure that, to the best of your ability, you know that it's going to be a sound horse.
1: Uh So you never
2: buy a horse with an issue. Okay. Like a A known known issue. issue. Right. Right? Because there are so many horses out there. It's easy to buy a horse. It's very difficult to sell a horse. True. Yeah. So so people don't know that. Also, people think, wow, you're going to spend how much money to buy the horse? That's not the true cost of the horse. The true cost of the horse is it's monthly yeah issue just like the home yeah just like the house it's the yeah it's so i really i didn't pay much for him because they really couldn't
1: afford to take he was so undernourished you were helping them by giving so this is so interesting and I i really appreciate you sharing those details because you're living some values that we're always trying to get across to clients and those include Fund what matters to you and not what matters to somebody else. And then also there's almost always a way to do what you want to do. It might not be it might be different from how you initially imagined it. Because you had owned differently before and you just took the time and energy to understand what it would take to own this time. Yeah. And you know, true wealth is surrounding yourself with the space and things that matter to you. And that's just something that a lot of us spend a lot of time and way too much money going down paths that aren't our own.
2: So, yeah. So so to that, I would say I spent most of my adult life learning what is enough. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that house and that big closet, I have an L-shaped wardrobe mm. from Ikea, Mm. That I fit all my clothes in now. Mm-hmm. So I realized it's okay to like nice things. I just don't need to have a hundred of them. Right. And every time I buy one thing, I have to get rid of something. Yep. So like and my cabin, it's enough. Yeah. Right? My car, my little Jeep, it's you know, it's enough. And my horse, and when I was in the fitness industry for so long, you know, I would tell people, you don't don't become a gym rat unless you really love the gym. And, and if you don't want to be a gym rat, you don't have to be a gym rat. Come in, get your workout, and leave. Right. Right? And you're working out so that you can do what you love, mm-hmm. whether it's rolling around on the floor with your grandchildren, whether it's so that you can hike the Himalayas, whether it's so that you can ride a horse. So I would encourage them to get out of the gym. Yeah. Like, go do something fun that you look forward to. And for me, it was Riding a horse. Yeah. And really, I found horses when I was very young. I started riding when I was like five years old because it got me away from an abusive home. Well, I was was, my sanctuary.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say, it's so interesting that you as a happiness expert also have a horse because you and I know a lot of people who... Uh, One of their services is equine therapy or therapeutic riding. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, therapeutic riding serves autistic, stroke, veteran populations, people who need healing and and only a horse will do or a horse can do. And then there's just so much about a horse that can help. They mirror for us.
2: They mirror for us our emotions. Mm -hmm. They mirror for us love. They're very, very sensitive. They're very sensitive beings. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's my therapy. I mean, I ride him on this beautiful land that I don't have to take care of. I don't have to pay for. And <laughs> it's, know, like it's like the friend with the boat, right? Yes, <laughs> you, don't the right. Boat. you don't have to own the boat. That's You don't have to own the boat. And um, so I'm on this, I mean, we see bald eagle, we see coyote, we see bear, we see everything. And I'm outside in nature. I mean, one of my challenges is, is depression. And so now I'm outside, mm-hmm. I'm in nature, mm-hmm. I'm connecting with this beautiful big being that is so, he knows he won the horse lottery.
1: Yes. You know, yes. and he's
2: so, like, Galileo was not appreciative. Galileo was like... A previous horse. Yeah, he was my previous horse, but he was like, no, you appreciate me. Uh, like, I don't appreciate you. Right. You know, it was like he was like, he wanted all the accolades because yeah. he was so beautiful. He was, such, yeah. he was just a beautiful, beautiful horse and he was so well-trained, anything. But Diamond is so appreciative because yeah. he had
1: nothing. Right. He knows what it could be like. Right. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I think when it brought him in the stall and he had a fan, I mean, I was just imagining him going, <laughs> I have air conditioning. Oh my God. You know, it's just, yeah. And, and everybody took him on, you know, the whole farm took him on as a, as this wonderful healing project. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: I have a quick, funny story from my time with therapeutic riding. We took the therapeutic riding horses, which tend to be extremely gentle and not your thoroughbreds, of course. And we took them to a local farm that was, you know, one of our top tier farms. And we did that to show therapeutic riding to a larger group but it was the Hilton of horse stuff because nice. they had a bidet for the horses and, uh, and one of them needed it before we did our therapeutic riding demo and I remember saying I they will never thing. go back to the barn. <laughs> <laughs> because...
2: never heard of such a thing. Well, for Sterling Women, we, we choose a, um, a non-profit to focus on every yeah. quarter and Wheatland Farms oh, is, perfect. is the um, nonprofit that we're focusing on and they have a marvelous Gorgeous. therapeutic yeah. riding program. Mm-hmm. And they also have um, a swimming at their a therapeutic uh, swimming program for mm-hmm. dis- disabled um, people. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, they're they're amazing. Yeah.
1: So let's uh, change gears again. I really want to understand. Um, did you expect to become a business owner multiple times in your life? And what do you love about it? And what do you find challenging? Because everybody isn't built for that, but you seem to be successful serially with it. I'm
2: tenacious. I just don't give up. Good. Yeah. I mean, I think that you have to be to be a business owner. Um, My ex is a serial entrepreneur. So I did work. I mean, I've worked in many businesses. and, And I don't know. I don't know if I thought I would or not. I just I knew what I had to do after I graduated from the Brennan School. I needed I really wanted to coach people, help people. Because I, I, I didn't become a therapist on purpose because I'm a nudge and you can't nudge as a therapist, right? So I, I teach people skills and I give them options that they didn't think of. That they can't think of their themselves their because it's not in their bubble. Mm-hmm. And I started my business in the last recession Okay. So you and I met because yeah. of the whole divorce piece, right? So I used to sit on many Second Saturday panels because I was like the divorce don't.
1: Uh-huh. Like, every don't do what decision I, did.
2: That I made in my divorce was like the wrong decision to do. The only thing that I did well and my ex did really well was that we did not go down the nasty road.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: we had to work very, very hard because it's very easy to go down that road. We had to work so hard at going. You know what? I spent twenty five years with you, so you had. There's there are good things about sure, you. Sure, of course, yes. And, and we learned so much. We were stupid kids when we got married, you know. And we learned so much about life and relationship with each other. And we wanted to respect that. We wanted to make sure our kids, you know, that we could be in the same room with our with them, you know, with our children. And so our children didn't have to pay the price for mm-hmm. that um, and listen to our pitiful stories.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I'm curious too, you have found love again in a big way and it's been quite a while you guys have been together. We don't need gory details, but I'd love for you to share for people listening who think that road is closed off to them uh, because they've been burned in the past. How did you find love again? How did you find the person? I know I walked around with a literal list, but how did you find love?
2: I didn't even know I was looking Mm. for love. And I think that's kind of the best part of it. I mean, there, I had already, I already knew that I was going to be divorcing my then husband, mm-hmm. who, by the way, is just, he's a great man. I always say I, I did good the first time I did better the second, not because <laughs> my now husband is better than my first, but we're a better fit. Yes. And we both say that if we had met each other, even five years earlier, it never would have worked because I, I've been working to know what enough is, to not be demanding,
0: <laughs> to not
2: be mean, <laughs> and to really soften and to flow better. And I've been working on those things for a long time. And he was lo- looking to find his strength and his wisdom and his words. Um, I would have just bowled right over him. Like okay. five years, even 10 years previous. Pushed
1: him aside.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. I would have just, he would have had my footprints on his face probably. Mm. Bless him. But we met each other just like right at the right time where he was really, he was in therapy. He was, (laughs) I'm his fourth. And, you know, and at first I judged him, Mm -hmm. which is mean. And then I really came to realize that just because he needed three people to teach him what he needed to learn so that he could be the spouse that he is today. Mm -hmm. And just because I only had one person that helped me learn all the things that I needed to learn why does it matter?
1: That's a beautiful way to think about it. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, he needed, three, he needed
2: three different people to realize that he was the common denominator in his marriages. And so if he wanted to be a happier spouse, that he needed to work some things with himself. Mm-hmm. And so we were both on that trajectory. But the real reason why we're together is because we basically were in and out of each other's lives for 25 years. Really? Yeah. I didn't, we didn't even know realize that about it. you. Okay. We didn't re- so when uh, when we met, we started realizing that we danced on the same stage. Huh. So I was a dance major down at SMU, mm-hmm. um, and he used to dance with the Dallas Ballet. Okay. And we used to dance on the same stage because they danced at SMU, the okay. Carlin uh, Auditorium. Uh, we realized that we worked at the same restaurant, but just different locations huh. at the same time. We went to the same bars. I went, I moved, got married and moved up to Virginia. He got married and moved up to Virginia. One year later, we were five miles apart. Huh. I mean, I can t- circling. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like 10 handfuls of, of, of things that were just like, you did what
1: yeah. you were where Yeah. I did that. Yeah. You
2: had your baby where <laughs> I did that. And it was just, yeah. I mean, cause I, I needed, I needed that. Otherwise, I, cause I didn't want to meet someone. I, I, I know this, right? I right. know that when we when we go through divorce, we need to focus on ourselves, you know, for at least a year. And sure. I mean I, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get divorced, we're gonna do it well, I'm not gonna date, I'm not gonna and then this man like Showed up. literally on a plane. Yeah, I met him on a plane. Yeah. I needed all those coincidences mm-hmm. and in energy work, we don't believe in coincidences. We believe that everything does happen for a reason and there are signs and there are And the signs had to be really big. Otherwise, I would have just been,
1: no. I think I've missed a lot of signs along the way, too, unfortunately. (laughs) Okay. Well, wrapping up, a fundamental belief that we hold, and one of our whys for doing this podcast, is that sharing our real stories, you know, we learn from each other, we get to know each other, and we bridge that distance between each other. What story can you share with the people listening about how you, Cindy, know that this is not a dress rehearsal, this life, this day? We
2: don't have enough time in this podcast. <laughs> we'll wait. So my family, I talk about my family, and they are the poem of the girl with the curl in the middle of her forehead. When they were good, they were very, very good. When they were bad, they were horrid. Mm. So my parents were heroes in these the small towns in Connecticut. I mean, everyone knew my parents. Mm-hmm. They were at the top of their professions. Mm. They were cons- they were mentors. They were teachers. They were people saw them on this like pedestal because they did really they did really great things for people. They dedicated their lives to helping children. They people would come to me all the time and say, you are so lucky, you know, mm. to have the parents you have. But when they would come home at night, close the doors, close the shutters, they were tired, they were angry, they were frustrated that their children didn't see them as these heroes. Mm. Right? We said no. <laughs> no one said no to my parents mm. you know because they they thought so much of my parents that if my parents said hey this is a piece of advice for you or you should do this they were like oh yes thank you yes thank you and then they would come home to these ungrateful children right mm. who would look at them and say no I'm not listening to you
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right so, so physical abuse rage I would hide in my closet a mm. lot and I knew very early on that there was a lot of generational dysfunction in my family and you just couldn't get around it. And at some point I made a promise to myself. Maybe it was one of those times that I was hiding in my closet that this isn't a dress rehearsal and I'm not going to do this to my family. Mm. Like the buck stops here. I didn't know what that meant yet, but I knew, I knew it was going to be my job to change a lot of the generational dysfunction that I grew up with. Yeah. And that was my motivation. Like one of the things that my clients can struggle with is the motivation to make change in their life. I think a lot of us struggle with change, right? But I knew change was essential. Otherwise I wasn't going to have the life that I wanted to have. I didn't want the rage, the anger. I mean, Ooh, I've worked so hard to work through so much of that, and I didn't, I didn't, I, I had nannies. Uh huh. Not because we could really afford them. I would work part time, t- so that I could afford the nanny because I didn't want to beat my children.
1: Oh, when you had your own children. When I had my Got own it. children, okay. I
2: yeah, and I and my my mother in law, bless her, she yelled at me and told me I was a spendthrift and I was I was spending her son's money for a nanny and that was like not the right thing to do. And I, I had to sit her down and go, I know, you know, my parents and I know that you think a lot of my parents and I said, my parents are really good people, but they did things to us that shouldn't be done to children. And I'm not going to do that to my children. And I'm, by the way, I'm paying for the nanny. Right. Your son isn't paying for the nanny. Oh boy. So, so I, I knew and, and my motivation is happiness. And, um, I remember the, one of the first lectures Barbara Brennan gave, and I'm, I'm sitting in a room of like 700 people. We would literally take over a convention center, and um, she's standing up there and she's telling us that we can have it all. Okay. You can have it all, Sydney. You can have. And I like started looking around. And I was economics major, right? I not only economics major, I was honors, and I I won awards from from George Mason. I'm like doing the math. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there
2: going, oh, this lady's scamming us. This is a con job. And But, it, but it, it took me a while to understand what she was saying. And what she was saying is that you can have the life that you deserve. It's just not going to be perfect. Right. But if you have a life that has holes in it, right? So whether it's you always argue about money or your boundaries are so different around sex or you always disagree on parenting because one is more militaristic. And the other one is like, well, they can do anything. You don't have it all. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're missing a big chunk of, of who you are and how you're showing up. And that's what she meant by it, that you can have it all. So you can be happy. You don't have to be complacent. You don't have to have areas in your marriage or your life that just don't work for you. You don't have to, but nothing in your life is gonna be perfect.
1: I couldn't agree more and I also feel like what you said about change, you know, change is the default. Change happens whether you guide it or not. Oh, COVID. Right, right. <laughs> so hilarious. so dealing with change is is, you know, fundamental as breathing. It's just whether you're going to deal with it or guide it or have it happen to you. Yeah, and you talked about
2: being a business person and you can't be a business person if you're not Willing to change. I think that's probably one of. in fact Somebody told me the other day. She goes, "Sydney, you are the, you are the 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 queen of reinvention." And I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, when stuff happens, you know, people hate the word pivot right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like it's
1: overused. Overused. I've used it. Yes, I have
2: too. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's flow, but it's also so I say bob and weave like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And some people might. Can you believe some people won't know who Muhammad Ali is?
1: Well, they should go to his museum in Kentucky because it's amazing.
2: I'm sure it is. But yeah, I mean, if you can't bob and weave like Muhammad Ali, then... You're not going to have, you can't have a
1: business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I I think that so much of what you've shared is helpful because you've lived it and you help other people get through it. So I think that your work is really important. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, I, I realized at some point that I wasn't the only one that didn't have the mentors and teachers to learn what we needed to learn. I mean, I'm not the only one out there that was physically abused. I'm not the only one out there that had rage and dysfunction in their family suicide addiction i mean you name
1: it that's the point of sharing the stories thank you cindy for your time and your insights and your wisdom Thank you. we wish you continued happiness and success and great health Woo-hoo. if you'd like to learn more about cindy and her company transformational healing go to transform-heal.com thanks again cindy thank you ben
0: This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty, express or implied, for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast, and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.